1: TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Welcome in to Purple Daily, a beautiful Friday for you. We've got football over the weekend. I was watching preseason action last night. I was watching Raiders and... Uh, I saw Antonio Brown with a helmet, and uh, Kyler Murray was out there, didn't have a very good game last night, so obviously he's a bust. Um, So we could get into some of those things, along with uh, pass interference reviews and everything else with Myron Metcalf in the second hour, and our journeyman quarterback correspondent, Sage Rosenfels. What is up, Sage?
0: Uh, Good afternoon. Uh, Looking forward to a Friday of, for me, driving to Des Moines, Iowa, and watching a couple soccer games of my daughter and possibly visiting the Iowa State Fair, which growing up in the state, going to college in the state, I still have never been to. I have been to the Minnesota State Fair two or three times, but never the Iowa State Fair. So looking forward to that this weekend. Uh,
1: I've heard Iowa State Fair is great. I don't know where I've heard this, but I seem to recall someone saying that Minnesota and Iowa have kind of a neck and neck for who has the best state fair.
0: Yeah, I, I think they're very similar. A lot of fried candy bars or fried uh, everything, basically. Uh, concerts at the end of you know pretty much each day. I think. Uh, I think the difference ours is we get all these presidential candidates who are constantly going through. Uh, really, I think probably every year a lot of you know politicians and presidential candidates go through the through the uh, uh, Iowa State Fair. So maybe we'll run into one of them. Uh, When we're there tomorrow,
1: I did see a video mashup of presidential candidates eating fair food, and it was hilarious. Um, So, so... yeah,
0: yeah, I saw, I saw uh, a Kamala Harris eating a like giant pork chop on a stick (laughs) or something the other day. You know, just with her hands. It was uh, you don't see that every day. There is. You do see that at the Minnesota State Fair, though. I mean, there's there's a lot of similarities.
1: There is nothing better than politicians being like, I'm one of you. See, I have this big handful of meat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: I'm I'm just like you. I'm just like you.
1: Uh, All right. So let's uh, not go any farther down that road and uh, talk some football, Sage. Let's just start with, I want to know what's on your list of things to watch for in the second preseason game. So where where does your mind go immediately when I say that sage, it's preseason game number two. What do you need to see from the Minnesota Vikings?
0: Well, I think you just want to see execution at a high rate. You know, I went back and watched that game I, I think a third time from the other day. And one thing I liked about it was there were not very many negative uh yardage runs, uh, if that makes sense. It seems like last year there'd be some runs where you know, a D lineman would would be an offensive lineman or a tight end or something. And, you know, the the running backs getting hit in the backfield or having to make a move three yards deep. I felt like the other night uh, there was a really good job of almost no penetration, a lot of double teams in the down lineman working their way up to the line and then those types of runs uh that that's what sort of keeps you on track and keeps you on course uh, to be efficient, you know, three, four five yard runs. But, you know, they're not always big, but you know those 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 negative twos and negative threes. Those are uh, those are basically like sacks, and those are hard to come back from. So I would like to continue to see that these positive you know, runs. Uh, I'd like to see some more play action. I think something that we I'd like to talk about uh, today with, with you is uh, not to say more play action, but uh, because of play action, usually higher yards per catch down the field for you know Adam Thielen, uh, Stephon Diggs, and the other wide receivers who be playing most of the game. I'm looking forward to see some big plays down the field, something the Vikings did not have enough last year.
1: Um, to your point, uh, Delvin Cook was among the tops last year in terms of yards after contact. So a lot of his yards had to be gained after someone hit him in the backfield and then he had to break a tackle in order to even get going upfield, which they do hope is uh, going to be more effective. I don't think we've ever talked about this, Sage, really, about how you feel about the running game because – There's just this constant back and forth on Twitter, maybe you've seen it, of analytics people saying, look, you really need to run less, and here's the Minnesota Vikings saying, well, our best player, or most dynamic playmaker, I guess, uh, maybe tied with Thielen and Diggs, but at the very top, in terms of potential for an explosive play, is Delvin Cook. So I, I kind of land a little bit in the middle. I mean, you can't tell me they shouldn't give Delvin Cook the football. That seems like a really good idea. Um, at the same time, I understand that if you run too much, then you're taking away your potential for um, good situations. I mean, if you if you don't get a big gain on first down with a run, you're talking about second and long. Running on second and long is generally not a good idea. So, you know, I I think I, I kind of go back and forth on this.
0: Yeah, well, I, I think that, you know, if you look at the Vikings and Kirk Cousins, look at a lot of NFL teams, you know, you take out about seven or eight, maybe 10 quarterbacks. And you say, you know, if you're going to throw the ball 45 to 50 times a game or more, you're going to lose. So, you know, at the end of the day, there's usually about 60, at the most 70 uh, plays in a football game, say, for an offense, right? Well, uh, if you can have a balanced attack, you know, 30 runs and 30 passes or or even 35 passes and 25 runs, something fairly balanced, usually that means victory. And, and it's just hard to call. And pass protect uh, and deal with all these pass plays because bad things do happen in pass plays. I mean, you got sacks, you got sack fumbles, you got interceptions, you got tip passes, uh, you got all sorts of things. And and, and an offensive linemen don't like them because you're constantly basically just trying to hold on and, and get get run over. You can't fire off and and uh, uh, release some punishment on the defenders. And so it's just hard to win consistently throwing forty forty five times a game felt like that's the way that what the Vikings were doing last year, and that wasn't giving them wins. Uh, they're, they're, they're much more, they're just a better football team when, you know, uh, a cousin sort of takes his shots and gets his passes in, but there's also this balanced attack with the running game. And I, I agree with you, Dalvin Cook, one of the more, you know, maybe a top five explosive runner uh, as far as a tailback is concerned in the National Football League. So
1: I've had a theory on this, but since you have uh, actually done it, I'm I'm curious what you think, uh, that the running game, especially if you can get a, a big play out of it, but even if it's somewhat successful, even if it's five, six yards a carry, it takes a lot of pressure off of the quarterback in terms of what you're asked to think about mentally. Like when you call a run play, you walk up there, you hand the guy the ball, and it's almost—I'm not saying it's an entire playoff because there are details to this—but compared to having to go up and read the defense and look for blitzes and adjust routes and do all these different things, it gets a lot. It, it's a nice mental break for any quarterback to be able to get three plays in a row that are five, six, seven yards from a running back. I, I think that there's some value in that.
0: Oh, it's—it's it's a huge confidence booster, and it's and also for the offensive line, and and it is great just to hand the ball off and get first downs. I mean. Uh, Mark Trushman once said to me when he was my quarterbacks coach, it's easy to call run plays. It's hard to call pass plays. You know, if your run game's working, man, I'll I'll dial up 35-week and I'll dial up, uh, you know, 38-stretch or whatever it is. And boom, they're getting fives and sixes. This is easy. I'll dial another one up. Pass plays, there's a lot of variables there. The protections, what well, it's as you're going to see uh you know all the audibles go into it now because you have to you know may may have to re mic the protection or something because a blitz you see is coming or maybe a receiver doesn't see the hot route or the quarterback doesn't see it. Now we got you know major problems on our hand. You know, calling uh you know thirty five Bob or whatever you want to call it uh a simple run play and it's getting yardage that is uh you know so much less uh you know room for air, I guess. And so uh you know the, there's that and that these running plays cause the defense to have to step into those holes and step up have to try to defend them because they don't want to get run, you know, run on five, six yards of a, a carry. So that then creates these, uh, you know, nice holes in the defense for the play action. And that's why I think for this football team uh, and this style of offense, the running game is important because uh, it, it works right with that passing game and not just drop back passing game. Uh, but actually, the passing game where we you're sucking those linebackers up and throwing the ball over their heads.
1: Okay, this is the second time in, I think, two weeks that 35 Bob has showed up on the show. Alex Boone mentioned it when I talked to him last week. What is 35 Bob?
0: Well, so I, I believe in this offense they might call it, you know, 15 Bob or 15 Week. But so the first number, so let's say we're 35 Bob, let's call it that. So every team designates. Uh, you know, the fullback is a, the, the, the numbers start, let's say a lot of times it's a fullback is a 40 and a tailback is a 30. I don't know why they do it. Uh, you can really do whatever you want. But so when I say, uh, you know, 34 or 44 belly, that would be to the fullback. The old school used to, you know, flip around and hand the ball to the oh, fullback. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. So that'd be 44 belly, right? Well, 34 belly would be to the tailback. And obviously the fullback would be blocking somebody. So that's how you, You come up with the first number uh, of the two numbers. Obviously, the second number is the hole that we're trying to get to. So, Mm -hmm. in an NFL offense and almost all college offenses, most high school too, uh, the even numbers are to the right. So, basically, the center is at zero. Uh, You know, two is pretty much the right guard, four the right tackle, six a tight end, and eight, you know, going outside the tight end. So, two, four, six, eight. So, like a stretch play, an outside zone play, 18 stretch or 34, 38 stretch. Something like that, and then the weak side numbers would be all odd numbers: one, three, five, seven, and nine. So thirty-five Bob would be a uh, the fullback, the back-on backer, the fullback on the will linebacker, uh, and the tailback is uh, obviously opening it up quarterback open for the tailback uh, into that the left side because it's on the five hole. So thirty-five Bob would be between basically the left guard uh,
1: and left tackle. Now, how does this compare to the verbiage of a pass play?
0: Uh, yeah, well, so, you know, I write 35 Bob or I write, you know, pass 35 Bob X reads Z setter comeback. You know, you have to describe the pass patterns. You come up with some word that describes the pass pattern or you actually just tag them with individual routes. Uh, but you have to, you know, give us some sort of protection. So, you know, this protection, just be like pass 35 Bob. It's pretty simple. It's just the run play, but it's a pass basically. So it turns into a pass protection after the initial few steps of run action uh actually the weak side of it is pretty much pure pass protection but uh it's it just that, that's the way it goes you know there's also you know double right zebra right three jet zebra arches halfback wide like there's there's a lot that goes into these pass plays when you start to get into all these uh you know types of origin protection that have, have to scribe more people have to give more protection all these things run plays are pretty much the formation you know the motion and you know what's the run play pretty simple
1: so just circling back to where we started with all that, which was the that there is benefit to being able to just call 35 Bob and walk up there and get six yards from Delvin Cook and be like, okay, positive play, kept us moving, going down the field, giving it to a playmaker and not having to do all of that other stuff um, for yeah, a handful was, of plays it, on a drive.
0: It's, yeah, it's great. And when you get like in a second and two, now it's like, hey, now we got, we know what the defense is going to be in. They're probably going to be in man to man coverage. We can maybe take a shot on a play action or something like that. You know, thinking that we're going to get a first down on a third and short situation. If we got that run game fired up pretty good, uh, you know, come into that, that play call. So now it allows you, allows that coordinator all kinds of options. Second two, second three. Man, I can take a shot. I can just come out and get a completion. I can run the ball again. I can call boot. You can really do anything you want. Uh, you know, other than probably a screen because the defense, uh, isn't going to be rushing the passer all that hard. So, you know, that's why that run game stuff is so important because then it opens up that playbook, uh, you know, for the coordinator. Uh, you know, no, no one, play action doesn't work on third and 10.
1: Right. You know, you, yep. you
0: basically have to drop straight, straight back at that point, right? So that's how the game really changes. If you get these positive runs, then it opens up that play action. And because just the down distance actually says, like, basically, you know, play action would work. Uh, in this situation, more than a you know second super long or third long.
1: Yeah, the situational stuff last year, um, they were in a lot of third and longs, and Kirk Cousins has not historically been a great third and long quarterbacks uh, or quarterback. There are usually guys uh, in the league who are consistent with that. Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, Teddy Bridgewater was this way, and. Cousins is just not one of them. And I think a lot of it is that it asks him to just step straight back and oftentimes throw into a tight window or oftentimes take a risk. And those aren't really necessarily things that he's always done. Um well more,
0: more often than not in third longs, you know, the defense, whatever coverage they're playing, you know, they know you're gonna to have to throw the ball, you know, deeper down the field. So they're gonna drop deeper and say, Hey, you know, make, you know, force you to check the ball down to your running backs or tight end over the ball or something like that. So they're gonna play everything very much deep to short so a lot of times there's just not windows there i mean if you are you're the ball's traveling a further distance there's a better chance a linebacker or a safety can make a play on the ball there's just more issues there plus you have to drop back uh you know deeper and and you know that's worse for the offensive line because you're holding on to the football so a lot of teams do even like a second long situation second 14 they will go to the quick game you know, let's not take a sack and make this thing terrible. The defense knows you're going to have to throw the football. So let's go to some sort of quick game, get the ball out of our hands, try to get in third and seven, third and six, and sort of manageable third down situation. But it really does take away just like straight drop back. We're going to throw the ball deep, even though it's second and 14. They're going to play it deep to short and, and force you to check the ball down.
1: Okay, let me, let me circle back to where we started, which was things that we're looking for in the preseason game with Vikings and Seahawks and ask you about these depth-wide receivers. Uh, I need a, a breakdown of each individual one right now, Sage. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, well,
0: <laughs> I, I'll say this. And the reason I say that, I was looking at some stats from last year, and you go through the NFL, and you're Michael Thomas, New Orleans wide receiver, he led the NFL uh, with 125 catches. You know, 1400 yards. Zach Ertz actually number two at 116 catches last year at a 10 point average, 10.0 average. Let's remember that. Zach Ertz, a tight end with a 10.0 average. Then you work your way down to the the Vikings, two wide receivers, Adam Thielen, uh, obviously, and Stefan Diggs, you know, two superstar wide receivers. Well, Adam Thielen had 113 catches at 12.2 at, uh, at yards per catch. But Stefan Diggs, who I've always thought Probably more of a vertical threat. I don't mm-hmm. know if he's faster than, than, uh, than Adam Thielen, but I, I, I thought he was faster. He had a 10.0 yards per catch last year. He had 102 catches for 1,021 yards. So he had the same yards per catch as Zach Ertz, a tight end for the Philadelphia Eagles. So to me, and that, by the way, is hands down the lowest of all the wide receivers really like in the top 20. That's, that is the lowest. You take out the running backs, take out the tight ends, you know, McCaffrey's, Christian McCaffrey's at 8.1. He had 107 catches, but only 8, 8, eight yard average. But Stefan Diggs yards per catch was very, very low compared to everybody, all the other wide receivers. Who had you know seventy eighty plus catches last year?
1: Okay, let's get into this when we come back. So we have got a little more time, and 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 break this down of how they can get more out of Thielen and Diggs because one of the themes of the show that I wanted for today was let's also not forget to talk about star players. So I'm going to need you to at some point tell me what young receivers can do to actually make a difference, which was where you know kind of I want to head with our previewing this game, but let's break this down of how they could get more yards per catch out of Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs because it was very low last year, and I think that Gary Kubiak wants that to change. So we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels, you are listening to Purple Daily here on Score North and Sage's dog, Bernie. There you go. Nice to see you, Bernie. All right, we'll be right back. All right, back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar and Sage Rosenfels. If you missed any of uh, our show today or are going to miss um, the second hour with Myron Metcalf, then make sure you download the podcast version on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Bernie in the background is uh, still unhappy, Sage, with uh, your, your workers in your bathroom. Is that what's going on with Bernie the dog? Yeah.
0: Retal in the bathroom, and Bernie's uh, he's a very good watchdog. So anyone that walks into the house, he goes
1: nuts. And so you know, I'm in my
0: son's room currently trying to do this trying to do this radio show, and uh, hopefully uh, everything goes okay downstairs.
1: That's all right. I think it was a welcome addition. I don't have a barking dog. Um, my my greyhound honestly does not bark. You have to make her really upset to get her to bark. Um, so I do not have a watchdog. Uh, you could break into my house, and she would probably hope you just had a treat. And that's all she would do. So Your
0: dog runs runs around your yard like a crazy person, it seems like to me. Just, just runs around in circles nonstop all the time.
1: Yeah, she can reach uh, somewhere in the range of like 35 miles an hour. So she just runs around in circles and shreds the lawn. Luckily, I'm not one of those people that would care about this because it's just grass flying everywhere when it's wet you'll see just mud shooting everywhere and and that's what she likes to do because she's a race man dog, so yeah so so
0: she so she raced uh for a long time yeah uh, like yeah. Pro- professionally i guess was, <laughs> yes the right phrase to use. yes
1: you and her were both professional athletes um she was a racer for four years and then we adopted her so i would highly suggest it for anyone who's looking for a dog to look into greyhound adoption anyway let's get back to football sage Um, If Bernie has thoughts on play action and how to get the ball to uh, Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs uh, better, then he can bark in his answer. But let's circle back to that. You mentioned the research that you did. The yards per catch on Thielen and Diggs were not great last year. And that has to be a main goal of Kevin Stefanski and Gary Kubiak here is to hit on more big plays to those guys.
0: Well, it's hard to just straight up throw the ball down the field and, and, uh, you know, by just dropping back, you know, and I tell you, the, the Saints are one of those teams. They don't do a ton of play action. They do some, but they do a ton of drop back pass, ton of empty stuff with Drew Brees and Michael Thomas's numbers weren't huge either as far as, uh, you know, his yards per catch only by 11.2. Uh, you know, but so, so it's hard to just drop back and and throw the ball deep because, you know, the defenders are going to wait back there for you. They're going to play everything deep to short, safeties, corners, linebackers, all that stuff. But the play action causing, you know, deep linebackers and D linemen to play that run first. Uh, one, it it prevents the D linemen from rushing the passer, uh, and and just going, you know what? The quarterback's going to be six, seven yards deep. And I'm just going to try to get to that spot as quickly as possible. They have to play that run first and, and really for, you know, probably a good two seconds. And so, that allows more time for the receivers to get deeper down the field, uh, and, and to get to you know deep you know further parts of the defense, and uh, uh, you know those linebackers step up into their gaps because they're all responsible for a certain gap in the defense. And now there's these these areas behind them, and so uh, it doesn't take that much. But that that run action, uh, is, is, in particular, if the run is successful, that run action creates uh, you know the defense you know stepping towards the offense and not going in the other direction. Which then allows these big holes back there. So that's to me, uh, that is just how the, the, I, and I, I'm fairly sure and we'll see what we should check back this maybe quarter way through the season, halfway through the season. Uh, you know, maybe not first game, but I'd like to see how these numbers, if they go up as far as yards per catch, because I feel like last year they didn't do enough play action. It was straight drop back, which means everything's going to be deep, you know, short passes usually or balls. It's hard to push the ball down the field and straight drop back. So you end up getting a lot of, you know, completions to under, the underneath stuff or just going out there and throwing like a hitch route to Safan Diggs and see if he'll do something with it. Might get six yards and bring down that yards per catch. But, you know, the, the bootleg stuff, the play action stuff, I think it brings up that yards per catch average.
1: Well, that, that's what I was going to ask you is about last year. And you and I had uh, done quite a bit of John Filippo evaluation and had uh, several serious criticisms of the way that he had handled that offense. But in terms of how you're going to deal with an offensive line that isn't that great, last year it was not just not that great. It was very poor. This year I would probably put it under not not that great, but maybe average at best, which would be a big improvement. But uh, in terms of handling that, one of the ways that John D. Filippo did it was by throwing quick screens to stefan diggs and that's one of the reasons that he only averaged 10 yards a catch because he would just have kirk cousins snap the ball throw it right to stefan diggs try to get yards after the catch after maybe three or four weeks that didn't really work anymore but they kept trying it and i i think that that hurt his overall yardage was that the best way to handle it uh i because i kind of tend to think that it wasn't it wasn't the best way to handle the offensive line not being very good
0: yeah so so to me, his way of dealing with what he thought was a pa- a, a poor pass blocking offensive line was to just get the ball out quicker now that that is one way to do it. Uh, I'm gonna say there's three or four ways to do it one Well, obviously run the football that's nice way don't have to do with you know, an offensive line that doesn't pass protect very well. number two is throw the ball quick, which is what they did whether it's a wide receiver screen or a lot three step drops. Uh, the next one is some sort of play action and bootleg type stuff. Get the, get the quarterback out of the pocket, uh, or make the defense, uh, you know, uh, try to stop the run first. Uh, and number five is screens. Another thing that they didn't, they didn't do much of last year. We would talk about, man, they do, they, they need to do more, whether it's, you know, tight end screens or, uh, running back screens. They don't do enough screens. We got to get the ball in Dalvin Cook's hands and things like that. And, you know, sure enough, the other night, I think the Vikings ran at least one, if not two, tight end screens. Yep, big one to Tyler Conklin, yep. It, yeah, it's off that play action, all right? The tight end has to stay in and block, okay? The, the defense realizes it's a play action. Now they turn and run to try to cover up those wide receivers, and then, boom, let the defensive end go, pop the ball to the tight end and get a you know, guard and tackle out in front of that tight end, uh, which happened the other night, and that was about a 20, 25 uh, or so yard gain. So there's big gains there as well. Uh, off that screen game so there's a lot of ways to combat uh, an offensive line that doesn't do a great job pass protecting for 40 45 plays a game one of those is getting the ball out quick uh which is what the d flip did last year it seemed like but i don't think he uses other options uh that that can help an offensive line and help out a quarterback uh, in the passing game
1: so here's something i wonder about sage is what is going to make Stephon Diggs happy in this offense? And and I know that it's like, hey, just play your role and win games and everything else. But in terms of if it was Stephon Diggs drawing it up, th- there were times where I felt like they were really getting it right in 2016, 2017, 2018. At, at times with him, he is one of the elite route runners in the NFL. The people who have studied this really closely, Matt Harmon is one who tracks every route Um, have found that his success rate is about as good as anyone in the NFL, including someone like Antonio Brown, who is elite in terms of the route running. And and I I guess I I wonder this all the time of, okay, so you have someone who can do anything with his route tree. That's very rare. How do you use that correctly? I'm sure that throwing quick screens to that guy is not the way, but also he did have his first 100-catch season last year. He got the big contract and everything else. And now you have more people that you want to throw it to, probably less passing attempts than last year. And I, I guess I just wonder where exactly he's going to fit in in this, because we just assume, you know, hey, Diggs is, is great. He'll just go out there and be great. And that's kind of the end of the conversation. And I don't know, I, I guess I wonder exactly how he's going to be used to not only maximize his talents, but also make him happy.
0: Well, I think you know. I I was watching again. I was watching that game from the other night, and that third down where Kirk Cousins ran uh, one of the first third downs the game. He ran for a first down. Well, if you watch the coverage, they're playing two man, so they're basically playing inside leverage, and they undercut everything. All the all the DBs, all the cornerbacks, and then because they have safety help over the top, it's almost impossible to throw the ball to a receiver in those situations. Well, it was like third and forever on that deal, third and 10 or something when Cousins ran for that first down. So they got to stay out of those things. When, when Stefan Diggs and Adam Phelan can get one on one coverage on the outside, it's pretty much a no brainer. That's going to be some sort of completion. The question is, is it going to be a deeper completion, uh, when, when, which the offensive line has to pass protect longer, or is it going to be something shorter like a hitch or a slant or a quick out or a wide receiver screen or something like that? So, To me, Stefan Diggs and Field, those two, and this team really has, you know, these two top notch wide receivers, and then nobody knows for the number third guy right now. But with those two guys, uh, I think getting one on one coverage on the outside, uh, which again, it's all about keeping on track. You know, once you get in second long, third long, again, more cover too, more, you know, help for the cornerbacks, and they don't have to play the run as much. And so that's hard to get the ball to those wide receivers down the field when they have two guys on them. So, The more one-on-one, the more single high-safety, man-to-man on the outside or what they call cover three, where it's basically wide receiver versus cornerback, Uh, that is what the Vikings need this year for Diggs' numbers to go up.
1: So I guess my question off of that would be then, I mean, teams, you're going to get in those situations, and teams are going to try to double Stephon Diggs, or they're going to put their shutdown corner on Stephon Diggs, and you can't just hope that you're in third and two all day, right? Or you can't just not throw to him when there's cover two and someone's over the top. I mean, I think it's one. it should be one of the main goals of this offense to figure out what they're going to do when that happens because it, I'm sure it's the correct answer to say, yes, stay out of those situations. But ultimately, Gary Kubiak said the other day, 10 to 14 times a game, you're going to be in third down and something. And there will be times where you're in third and seven in the third quarter or fourth quarter, and you're down by a touchdown, you need to play. So what What can they do? Because to me, Diggs, his ability to do absolutely anything and get open allows you to, I think, still find ways to target him even when the defense is trying to take him away.
0: Yeah, so this is where you get to a good offensive coordinator or, or play designer that comes up with formations that put the receivers in untraditional spots you know don't leave stefan and adam just on the outside out by the numbers and so all the defense knows where they are they can line up they can set their defense they can cloud them or play two guys over them and double team but move them around a lot and again going back to coach kubiak's offense back in the houston days andre johnson we'd line him up in the backfield and motion them out sometimes or just line them up in the backfield they line them up as almost a tight end position uh basically in a three-point stance they do all these stacks and motions and in bunches to try to uh almost hide your premier players because defense can't adjust to all those things you know if you're in a lot of times you're for like in a, what they call it, that two-man coverage i was talking about earlier and you get in some sort of stack well defenses don't like that because they can't bump both of them uh in that two-man coverage and so a lot of times somebody can get rubbed off or picked or whatever, so a lot of times they zone those things off, which then allows uh, a guy like Stephon Diggs to get a good matchup, say, on an outside linebacker or a nickel will player. So that's where you get to the really good stuff. The really good coordinators can move those receivers around uh, and find the matchups they want. Going back to the Super Bowl last year, uh, and I and I show this tape sometimes at some of my football clinics I do, uh, when the Patriots were trying to, Basically win the Super Bowl. There was nine minutes left. They had the ball about their own 35, 30 yard line and they had to go to the length of field and they did. They, ended up, you know, you remember the Gronkowski sort of seam route catch that he caught about the two yard line. They, they ended up, uh, you know, scoring the, the next play. They on that drive, they ran the exact same play three times in a row hmm. out of, out of empty, out of re- what they call regular personnel. fullback was in the game. A tailback was in the game. Okay. Uh, and they had, uh, you know, Gronk. Um, I believe another tight end or receiver, but they had Julian Edelman. So you had that regular personnel grouping, but Julian Edelman in the empty set was playing. He was the guy that was closest to the tackle. He was sort of playing the tight end role in that. In uh, the first first play of that series, he gets a line uh, a matchup on a linebacker one on one over the ball, sort of put the move on him, uh, and they called a jerk route. And uh, trying to make the linebacker look like a jerk is what Kyle Shanahan used to say. <laughs> but they got, but they got about a 14, 15 yard gain first play of the drive. Yeah, uh, that's that's coaching, okay. And then what happens the next time they run the, the same play again? And then uh, the Rams, of course, they got good coaches too, so they're not going to allow that to happen. So they actually double team Edelman and Gronkowski on that play. So what does Tom Brady do? He throws it out to his his running back for about an eight yard gain uh, on just a simple hitch route uh, on, to Rex Burkhead. All right. And then the third time they tried to double Edelman again. They did something else. They didn't get quite lined up correctly. And that's when he hit Grant down the seam. So there's ways to get premier players the ball, uh, formation, you know, with formations and things like that and motions and stacks and, and bunches uh, that ju- doesn't just leave them out there one on one and say, Hey, you got to beat that, that, you know, that two man coverage or the coverage where you have a safety helping out over the top because the coach said, we're going to take away Stefan Diggs this game there's a way coaches uh, offensively try kind to of formation things to try to you know get some sort of good matchup.
1: And that's, to me, where it was a failure last year of John D. Filippo. I've got the numbers here. Stephon Diggs on third down was only able to gain 10 first downs on 35 targets, and that's not because he wasn't Able to run the route you asked him, or not because he didn't catch the ball. To me, that's entirely on how did you design him to get open. And once teams started to do the double team on Thielen and Diggs, it was like John D. Flippo didn't know what to do. Got, yeah, oh, so basically, well, what, screwed.
0: Yeah, basically what you're saying because you know we talk about you know Kirk being a really accurate passer. So you got an accurate passer, you got a great route runner with unbelievable hands. I remember Stefan dropping too many balls last year. So basically, he's trying to fit. Uh, over the course of the year, you know, 35 passes, trying to fit them into probably pretty small spaces, and uh, and they didn't connect. They only connected ten times, and so you'd like to have that percentage go way up. You know, to have a a great receiver like D- Diggs only catching, you know, basically one out of three, uh, you know, balls uh, that are thrown to him on third down. That that number is very way too low for him.
1: Yep, yep. Uh, he had 19 catches overall, but only 10 turned into first downs. And only when it was between third and seven and nine, um, they only went two of nine throwing the ball to Stefan Diggs. So that to me is a failure from uh, the offensive coordinator to get him the ball. And that's something that could change this year. Uh, Let me ask you before we end the segment here, Sage, just about the young wide receivers. And when you're a quarterback in training camp and preseason, I mean what what do you need to see from somebody because it isn't just one good catch in the preseason or something like that it's got to be on a daily basis and I feel like we're still just sitting here and waiting and waiting and waiting for somebody to do something and it is an opportunity this weekend against Seattle to do something from someone
0: yeah, very much so, and and you know I, I bought, I'm guessing you probably talked about Laquan Treadwell, and did uh, I read something that maybe he was open for a, a possible trade to somebody else or yes, something like yes, that. Yes, yes, that was a report so, from
1: Albert Breer. Yes,
0: which is always you know this time of year that always seems to be like, well, we could just wait till the Vikings cut him and then we'll pick him up for nothing, or we give a seventh round draft pick or something like that. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens there. We you know that that story's been uh, talked about many many times. Uh, you know, Chad Beebe didn't have much for, he had some action the other night, but didn't have, I'm any balls thrown to him or anything like that. Obviously, BC Johnson, uh, had a nice game the other night, catching that touchdown pass, did a nice job. Uh, you know, the, there are like, you know, gamers, uh, in, you know, for wide receivers too, guys that are okay in practice, but then they just sort of seem to always make that play in the game and they, they show up in particular in the preseason. So, you know, can, can one of those guys that's, you know, lower in the depth chart. Can they work their way up, uh, by consistently having three, four preseason games and then, you know, getting confidence. And then next, you know, Safansky saying, Hey, BC, you know, we're going to put you as a third wide receiver, uh, with the ones in this next four plays, you know, and then he gets that opportunity and you see how he does. So, uh, you know, the, the preseason games are always fun for, to me to, to, look at these receivers to see what they can do. And, uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm very interested what these guys do. Uh, obviously, you know, it's, the uh the, the, this weekend and and uh i would say i said i think D.C. johnson probably made the biggest impression uh, for me yep of those young wide receivers
1: yeah and there's no question that he's been emerging as a guy that would be a great find for them if he could do something from colorado state and i i think what we're finding sage more and more you brought up laquan treadwell is that there are certain things that correlate to success in the nfl that if you could do them in college. That you probably have a better chance to be a good NFL wide receiver, and those things aren't necessarily bullying people, uh, uh, you know, y- uh, corners that aren't that good, like Laquan Treadwell did in college. But it's probably can you be a route technician, and if you can perfect the details of route running, then you probably have a much better chance than you would have if you were a guy that you know kind of had to just use your physical advantages. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. So there's, it's funny, uh, there's no joke of, you know, people will say like, Oh, that guy, he's a really good route runner, you know? And it's like, well, why would not you be a good route runner? Like if you're a wide receiver in the NFL, wouldn't you try to be a really good route runner? Yes. Like it's, but it's right. Like, why would you want to be a bad route runner? Right? So it really all is about, it's about body control. And some people just have the ability to keep their balance, to get around people, to, uh, you know, create separation. You know, from the from the cornerback, uh, you know, obviously catch the ball, understand timing, and understand sort of sometimes understanding, you know, the the situation. Uh, you know, the quarterback's in that he's getting. You know, as you take off, you see pressures coming. That ball might come out just a step quicker. It's like understand all these little sort of intangibles that aren't. You know, well, he had a hundred catches at his New year in college, and he ran a four four two with the combine, and he's got you know big hands or whatever. I mean, all these things they try to measure. There's a lot that goes into it, and that's where you have first-round draft picks who are, have failed uh, as NFL wide receivers, at least to be you know top-notch guys. If you're a first-rounder, then you have guys like Adam Phelan, who you know no one thought would make it in the NFL, and here he is one of the best wide receivers in the league. It is amazing, but it, it does happen. It's all those little things uh, that that can make a huge difference.
1: Yeah, I, I wonder if um, teams should change the way that they handle scouting wide receivers, uh, you know, as it goes through that scouting season and watching college football, that maybe the things they thought correlated don't exactly correlate. So,
0: you know, um, I was, I was uh, talking to a friend the other day who works for a company in Los Angeles. And they do a lot of, uh, you know, sports, uh, you know, different numbers, things they do. And, and they, all these analytics and these things like that. And there is a, so the, um, the XFL, which is, you know, slowly getting ready here. They're doing all these sort of regional combines. It sounds like guys that haven't made at the NFL trying to make it in the XFL. But they put these devices on them that actually, you know, right now it's all about, you know, what's your three cone time and what's your yeah. agility drill and all the You know, it's this number. This actually measures uh, the ability to like how quick you are in and out of breaks. Wow. Actually measures that. Right. So gets a more precise number uh not just you know the, the what's the forty time. It's you know it's really is like how quick you are in and out of the break because if you're quick in and out of breaks, that means that you can probably get separation from defenders and that's hugely important for, for wide receivers and tight ends.
1: All right, we gotta take a break. We'll come right back. We'll put a wrap on the hour. Myron Metcalf is coming up next hour when we return. You are listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. 245 here at Score North time for the Score North download for this hour. You can join myself and Dan Terhar tomorrow night for Score North's coverage of Minnesota United who sit in second place in the Western Conference after their 1-0 victory over Colorado Rapids midweek. They'll host Orlando City on Saturday pregame at 6:30 there with kickoff at 7 right here on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com and the Score North mobile app that is free if you haven't heard lately that's been your score note download now back to the final segment this hour of purple daily All right, final segment of the week with Sage Rosenfels. We're doing this three times a week with our journeyman quarterback correspondent, and uh, as we get more and more film for you to grind, Sage, this will become more and more fun. So I'm looking forward to um, putting more. The Vikings putting more on tape on Sunday against uh, the Seattle Seahawks. I, I have a question for you though um, before we wrap up the hour here about Mike Zimmer. Um, so. Courtney Cronin wrote a big piece about Mike Zimmer, and part of it was Zimmer's fear of being fired. That he has always had this kind of um, like concern that he was going to get fired, and weirdly, it's never happened for him. And, and I wonder what you think, Sage, about the expectations for this year and how they impact the decision making on Zimmer. Like, if you were evaluating him, if you owned the Minnesota Vikings. How would you do it for this year? Would it purely be on win-loss? Would there be some other metric or some other way? Or would it just be entirely on how the season felt to you? I mean, how would you do it? Well, I
0: I think Mike Zimmer's a heck of a football coach. And I think if the Vikings ever fire him, I'm fairly sure somebody else would pick him up fairly quickly. You know, always has one of the better defenses in the league. Going back to even when he was, you know, the defensive coordinator of like the Bengals, when they never spent money on anybody, their defense was always really tough. So... I think he's a highly respected coach. I don't see him being on any sort of hot seat whatsoever. I, I do believe the Vikings have sort of found the guy that I, I hope is there for a long time. He's, he's, he's respected by people outside of that locker room on other teams and, and the, around the NFL. And that seems like to me very much inside that locker room and on the coaching staff. So uh, I don't see him going anywhere. It's not always easy to find somebody that everyone You know, seems to, you know, like and respect and, and uh, like playing for. And, and, uh, and he's also a, you know, a tough guy probably. So, uh, I I think that they, they, they found the right coach. I don't see him on any sort of hot seat. It would really surprise me. The season would have to somehow like fall apart and there'd be strange controversy for some reason about something. Uh, you know, they win three, four football games and it's like, man, we got to flush this toilet and start anew. Uh, you know, even if they win six or seven games, I, I still don't think he's really on the, the hot seat for this season, maybe for the following season. So, uh, I think they're going to be back in the playoff hunt, if not in the playoffs. Uh, and so I, I don't think, uh, uh, you know, the, the aspect of Mike Zimmer getting fired anytime soon has got to happen.
1: See, I, I look at it a little bit differently because of the bar that was set and the money that was spent on Kirk Cousins for him to be here. That there is a lot of pressure. I would not put Mike Zimmer necessarily at the top of the league in terms of quarterbacks, or I'm sorry, uh, head coaches that. Uh, would be under the most pressure that would be someone like Jay Gruden in Washington um, or Doug Marone in Jacksonville where if it doesn't work out then that might be the end of them but you know, I think that everything changed for how Zimmer is viewed in 2017 when they go to the NFC Championship game and the Wolves could see the potential for Mike Zimmer as the head coach here and the whole argument was if we just bring in Kirk Cousins we can now get over the top and everything else and if there's another playoff list season then you would be talking about no playoffs in 2016 2018 and 2019 and then i i wonder how much goodwill will be left over from 2017 so in a way it's like the two ways to look at it are the way the lens that you looked at it through it which is i think it's hard to find a coach that's this good and i would agree with you considering how many get fired in their first or second year but then there's also this other factor of well, if you own the team, you just put down a lot of cash to bring back all the players they said they needed. And if you miss the playoffs, then then I think there is a chance that they make a change.
0: Well, I will say that's the Kirk Cousins situation. If that doesn't work out and, and he doesn't play well, I, I don't think that's just on Mike Zimmer. I got to think that's on about 10 people. I think that decision was a lot of people... Uh, agreeing to it, uh, and and I don't know, you know, from any sort of inside information, who sort of had the final say, who was pushing the hardest, but I'm guessing everyone was on board. They thought, you know, here's a quarterback that put some huge numbers in Washington and had some good seasons, and the Vikings were in need of, you know, somebody to sort of take them to the next level, to the next step. And I think a lot of people had a consensus that that he was going to be the guy, better than drafting somebody and starting over or, or something like that. So. That's the direction they went in. I think sort of the whole organization went that way. And if it doesn't work out, I can't think it's just Mike Zimmer's fault uh, if Kirk Cousins doesn't end up being the quarterback to take them to the promised land.
1: Yeah. And I, I agree with that. And the day they signed him, they said it was a collective decision between a bunch of different people. So those are the people that need to be held responsible or that will be held responsible if it doesn't work out and who will get the credit if it does. Um, and
0: then, you know, and like who hired D Filippo last year, was that a hundred percent on Zimmer? Was that right. a mix of Zimmer and Spielman? I mean, that obviously was a mistake. And I think that, you know you and i could agree and i think most listeners could probably agree that you know probably mid season if not earlier zimmer was saying things that was sort of like leading us to ago you know it doesn't seem like he's a big fan of di filippo yep. right yep. so he he caught that pretty early and they they flushed that one down the toilet so uh you know we, i said we'll, we'll we'll see how the season goes and all those types of things
1: all right last thing um and say hi to bernie for me before you wrap this up there he goes um just so if you're, um, you're a player, it's a preseason game, you're on that sideline, and you have a kicking competition. So you got a couple of kickers who are battling for uh, the spot. What are you guys thinking over there? Are you thinking, somebody just make your kicks. I don't care who it is, but I need to be able to trust you. Uh, is there intrigue in the locker room? Are there debates over kickers? I mean, what is that like when you are a team that has a kicking competition going on?
0: I feel like it's one of those things that, like, nobody wants to talk about. You know, like, <laughs> don't, it's don't just sort of like, something? yeah, like, stay out. You know, we're not making that decision, right? Like, let somebody else make that decision. That's for <laughs> that's for the GM, the head coach, whatever. The, the players just want somebody to make their kicks or make all their kicks or, or get hot during the regular season. Obviously, a lot of times there's sort of a loyalty to the veteran, to Dan Bailey, who's been there, who's done it, he's made some big kicks, uh, you know, for the Vikings and you'd like to just have him kick, you know, kick, uh, you know, the, the best of his career. That's what you'd like to have. But at the end of the day, they end up signing a, a young guy, uh, and that, you know, just sort of showed up and he's our kicker. I mean, that, that happens in NFL teams. Yep. You go the entire off season and all of a sudden week one, we got a guy that literally just showed up. Like five days ago, now he's trying to kick, you know, field goals for us and like nobody even knows who he is. I mean, that really <laughs> does happen, you know, very regularly. Some guy, you know, somebody gets hurt, pulls a muscle, you sign a guy for a week or two. Nobody even really gets to know the kicker. Like he's just over sort of doing his own thing, and you hope that during the games he makes his kicks. And so I think all <laughs> the Vikings players just hoping these guys just make their kicks and, and uh and hopefully the best man wins.
1: Yeah, it's such a funny thing in sports of just like no one cares who you are just do the thing you're supposed to do and don't bug anybody
0: yeah Uh, it's like high school high school football like you know your teammates literally since like elementary school you guys have been through everything together and it's like the, the pro football is like this guy showed up three days ago and here he is trying to win a game for
1: us. (laughs) All right, Sage, uh, another fun week of football talk. We'll have more film to grind after the Vikings play against Seattle, so we'll catch up with you then. And uh, when we return, it will be Myron Metcalf along with me. We'll talk about some more star players, especially on the defensive side, also what Myron is looking for in this next preseason game when we come back here on Purple Daily
0: now through december 12th duncan rewards members can snag a medium holiday signature latte for three dollars join duncan rewards on the app today and start saving and stacking your points for free duncan think of it as the gift that keeps on giving america runs on duncan limit one per member per day exclusions additional charges and terms may apply participation may vary limited time offer this holiday season peloton's got a gift for you get up to 200 off accessories with the purchase of a peloton bike bike plus or tread